0: This week we uh, land this series called uh, Helping Without Hurting, and I want to begin by talking about my sister. I have an older sister and a younger sister, but older sister Julie, one year older than I am. Uh, They, Julie and Eric, they were with us last weekend. But a couple years ago, this picture was taken on a boat in Colorado. They live in the Denver area, and so a couple summers back, we were out there with them. And so while we were staying at Julie and Eric south south of Denver, Eric and I got on bikes one day, biked out of his neighborhood hit a bike trail, bike just uh, two miles or so, three miles on the bike trail, exited the bike trail, went into another neighborhood and rode up to a well-maintained, uh, attractive residential house, parked our bikes in the front yard and went on up to the door and we went in so that Eric could visit Uncle Don, his Uncle Don. Now, you wouldn't have known it from the street But this house is actually a care facility, and the owners are also the caregivers. And Uncle Don was a resident there. At any time, I think I've got two or three elderly people that live in the house. Don was in his late 80s at the time. He never married. He had no children. One sibling, a brother that was Eric's dad. What this meant was that there were only a couple living relatives that Uncle Don had. And so we just went into the house, and Cindy was the owner of the house, and her and her husband and the caregiver they had a conversation about medications or doctor's appointments or, you know, whatever. And Don, with his dementia, couldn't connect all the dots as to who Eric was. He couldn't go, okay, you are my brother's son. But whenever he would see Eric, he knew that Eric was somewhat important in his life. And after the brief visit, uh, climbed on the bikes, rode back to my sister's house. You go, okay, so what happened? You're like, what's the end of the story? <laughs> that is the end of the story. <laughs> uh, that's it. It's Eric routinely, regularly, checks in on his dad's brother, on Uncle Don. That's it. There's something about that that feels good it feels right there's something about that you know that's the way it's supposed to be and today is our opportunity in this landing of the series Helping Without Hurting it's our opportunity to talk about family as the first line of defense family as the first line of defense now uh We are surrounded by a world of need in our city and in our world. Hundreds of opportunities to love and serve and help people out. But family has a certain priority when it comes to helping and serving. And that's what we get to explore today. And if you were with us last week, we're going to visit the same place we visited last week, a place called Ephesus. This is an artist's rendition of Ephesus. What a! We think it would have looked back in the day based on the uh, archaeological finds that they have found. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, uh, the Apostle Paul travels to Ephesus and spends three years of his life building a Jesus community, a group of Jesus followers in the city of Ephesus. But then the Apostle Paul leaves and he deputizes his understudy, a younger pastor by the name of Timothy to come in and to shepherd the church after he's gone. Now, in your Bible, the letters of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are correspondence, personal correspondence from this older pastor to this younger pastor guiding him, Timothy, as he leads the church in Ephesus. Now, a major challenge in Ephesus were the number of widows that would have been connected to the Jesus group. There's a funeral. And a woman is burying her husband. And as she buries her husband, she might be burying the person who was the financial provider for that family. What now? Perhaps this widow is 65 years old. Perhaps this widow is 25 years old. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 5 of your Bible, there's a couple references to the list of widows. Who should be put on the list of widows? And by the list of widows, I think it was Timothy, be very careful about who you put on that list as permanent, long-term financial support and care. Uh, No, no. Always provide friendship. Always provide comfort. Step in and help out in the short term. But like permanent financial care, don't worry, we will cover your food, your clothing, your housing indefinitely. Timothy just couldn't do that and shouldn't do that for every widow in his congregation. And so what we're going to see today is Paul writing to Timothy and giving him advice, giving him counsel, brace yourself, on which widows to help and which widows not to help. What Paul's going to write to him is that if Timothy and his church friends swoop in and take care of the long-term needs of widows who have family, Timothy and his friends might be robbing that family of the joy, the opportunity, and the responsibility of taking care of family members. And family is the first line of defense. So if you were to open a Bible to 1 Timothy 5, verse 3, the topic of widows gets started with these words. Hey, Timothy, give proper recognition to those widows who are, last three words, really, in need and proper recognition here in context is financial support, food, clothing, shelter. Give proper recognition uh, 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 to those widows who are really in need. The next verse begins with the word, but. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their family And so repaying for their repaying their parents and grandparents for this, Timothy, it pleases God. It's pleasing to God when family takes care of family members. What Paul was writing is this: Timothy, be very conscious, cautious about you and your church friends swooping in and providing provision for a family when that should fall upon the family members of that widow. Now, we're going to explore that single verse. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 4 we're going to look at three different observations in that verse and i think i think today as we look at this some of you are just going to be encouraged you're just going to be encouraged you're just going to feel your heavenly father's go at a boy at a girl just you've done such a great job with this and you'll just have this incredible sense of affirmation over the path that you're traveling some of us will also feel challenged And I'm guessing more than a few of us are gonna really feel stretched as we look at this today. Family, the first line of defense, helping without hurting. Three observations from this verse. Observation number one has to do with putting your faith in action. Observation number one, faith. Let's return to that verse, 1 Timothy 5, verse 4. uh, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to, now would you please read with me the part that's highlighted there, to put their religion into practice. What it's talking about here, putting your religion into practice, isn't praying or Bible reading or going to church. Putting your religion into practice is like providing for Relatives, which is a spiritual activity, it's faith in action. What if holding a job, earning an income, and providing for family is basic Christianity? These should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by taking care of parents and grandparents basic Christianity, which is a different way to think about this. Uh, Just say a 21-year-old recently come to faith in Jesus, recently became a believer. A baptism service is a couple months away. And let's say someone comes alongside and begins to explain to this person just like basic Christianity. uh, Listen, you need to understand. You need to understand the story of grace. You do realize that when Jesus came and he died for us, this is something you did not earn. This is something you did not deserve. It flows from the generous heart of God. You understand that, right? The story of grace. God doesn't love you because you've been good. He loves you because he's good. This is the story of grace. You say, okay, that's like basic, basic Christianity. Anything else? Oh, yes, yes, yes. The power of the The indwelling Spirit of God. That is, a believer, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus comes to live inside. And what this means is the Spirit of God working through you can pull off things you could never do on your own. I could never forgive that person for what they did. I could never love this person. That's possible. But it's possible that the Holy Spirit living in you and working through you can empower you to love and forgive in a way you never could on your own. That, that's basic Christianity, that you're not alone. God comes to live inside, changing you from the inside out. Okay, I got it. The story of grace, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, anything else. And the 21 year old told, Yes, it honors God if you find a job, if you work, and if you provide for yourself and people around you. That too is basic Christianity. That too is spiritual activity. Does this surprise you? Does that feel surprising? Does that feel intense? My friends, you haven't seen intense. If you want to experience intense, drop down about four verses. If you really want to enter some shock value here. Four verses later, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul writes this. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is personal correspondence you're reading. Anyone that does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household, they've denied the faith. It's worse than an unbeliever. Denied the faith. Did you hear that Bill denied the faith? What, he walked away from Jesus and the church? No, he's not taking care of his kids. Did you hear that Karen denied the faith? What, she walked away from Jesus, walked away from church? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, She she won't check in on her grandparents. Anyone who does not care for their own relatives, especially those in their own household, has denied the faith. And what's up with that last thing? What's up with that is worse than an unbeliever. Again, shock value, right? Okay, this is what I think is happening here. When, when someone becomes a, a follower of Jesus, uh, has trusted Jesus with their life, they now have something, and let me just call it Christian. Christian responsibility. What does it mean to be a follower? What does it mean to learn the way of Jesus? What does it mean to dive into the teachings of Jesus and follow his instructions? This is Christian responsibility. But before there's Christian responsibility, there is what I will just call human responsibility, regardless of religious affiliation. It doesn't matter whether you're an agnostic, an atheist, a Buddhist, something is hardwired that says you need to take care of your kids. Not because it's Christian responsibility, it's just human responsibility. There's something about looking out for mom and dad in their senior years or grandparents that, no, 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 no. that's not part of Christian responsibility. That's just part of human responsibility. And so when Paul says they've denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, I think what he's saying, even people in the city of Ephesus... Uh, running off to the temple of Artemis at the edge of town that would never claim to be Jesus' followers. Even they have hardwired in this this thing about taking care of family. So it's a human responsibility. Now, when I start thinking about that, and let's look at the verse again. It's that first sentence is so lethal. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and then it says, especially their own household. And I goes, no, how many people does that include? Do I have so many aunts and uncles and cousins and nieces and nephews I've got? And immediately I want to get legal. Who's included in that? Who am I obligated to take care of there? And who am I not? Because that can be a big group. And so he says, relatives and little door, a little door knob. All right, so household. So who's included in that? And I immediately want to get legal and say, okay, I gotta define exactly who that is. Who am I obligated to, to serve uh, that's a family member there? Because you get situations. Your mom passes away. Your dad's 78. Your dad gets remarried. 78 year old newlywed. 78 year old acting like a newlywed. Three years later, your dad passes, leaving a widow. I mean, she's not part of this, I mean, she's not your mom. This isn't your mom, and so we get legal. And by legal, I mean uh, relative uh, shall include and shall be limited to a biological parent or grandparent or a biological child while living within my custody. And so we want to get legal. And I just want to say, instead of getting legal, get creative. What if, out of a growing, expansive heart of grace, instead of going, who, is, who am I obligated, you begin to ask, I, I could be looking after a nephew. There could be an ant. And so rather than trying to reduce it and say, who do I have to, uh, what if you begin to get creative and think of the opportunities over time to invest in those that would be a relative of one sort or or another. But in order to do this, uh, four words. You need to think like a provider. You need to think like a provider. And when we start making money, I am talking the 13-year-old babysitting jobs. and we start making money, we don't think like a provider. We think like a spender. And so this is the, so who am I really speaking to here? Now, listen, it's possible that you are 58, and this will hit you powerfully. But this next bit, I, it is really, I'm really kind of thinking here kind of the 18 to 30-ish you're old and thinking like a provider. So, uh, thinking like a spender. At first, uh, we work, and you you go to work, and they pay you something. And so, work leads to income, and then income so I can be a spender. I work so I can get money, so I can spend. It's radically different from this next line. I work so that I can have an income, so I can be a provider. And I'm, I'm telling you, even high school graduate, whether you're work-bound, whether there's a college thing, whether it's vocational training, just to be thinking in the back of your mind, optimally, my story is moving toward being able to provide for myself and for those around me. And you know, a 27-year-old goes, dude, you don't understand. It's just me, man. I mean, I make enough money to, you know, rent and uh, take care of my car and insurance and my cell phone plan. It's just me. And I'm going, yeah, but it might not be just you three or four years from now. Yeah, I'm not even seeing anybody. Okay, but you might, right? Yeah, I might. What if you marry a woman that has two kids in your instant family? Oh, I would have to get way more disciplined then. Get disciplined now. Once you establish spending habits, these are so difficult to break downstream. I want to challenge people who aren't... Yeah, what if you start dating a guy and he's got two kids? Uh, what if you meet someone, you marry, and there's a child for... Oh, I'd have to get way more discipline them. My challenge for you is this. Become the person now that they will need then, even if you don't know who they is. Even if they right now isn't even in your sight... Begin to think like a provider. My desire is to take care of myself and then to be able to take care of some people around me. Understand something, this is basic Christianity. First of all, to put their religion into practice by meeting their own needs and the needs of family members. This is a way to put faith into action by work and providing A common complaint that I hear about parents, and I happen to hear it more about dads, but it's probably true about dads and moms, and the complaint goes like this. My dad was a good provider, but. (laughs) And my dad, he went to work, he provided the stuff we needed, but he was never emotionally connected to me. My mom uh, was about work, and they provided, but really not a good listener, not emotionally connected, or my, my dad never had an interest in my sports, never had an interest in my, my, you know, my ball games or my, my concerts. And so he was a good provider, but was never emotionally connected. And I, I just always want to put a bookmark in there. I just want to go stop before the word but. That first clause, my dad was a good provider or my mom was a good provider. Stop there and fall on your knees and give thanks to God. Not everybody got that. Not everybody gets that. Now, I listen, I know, I know, we're more than physical needs. We also have emotional needs, and I'm sorry. I, re- I really am sorry. If your parents were not emotionally connected, if they were cold, if they were distant, if they didn't give you the love that you needed, I really am sorry, but give thanks to God. If they provided, that's not the only thing, but that is a huge thing. And particularly now, if they've always been distant and they're moving into their senior years, it might open your heart to be a little bit more gracious and generous with them because they brought you into this world and took care of you in your earliest years. Paul's writing to the younger pastor, Timothy. He says, Timothy, be very, very cautious about stepping in and you and your church friends meeting a widow's needs when that opportunity should go to her family because that is a way of putting their religion into practice. And you could rob them of spiritual development by taking that opportunity away. It's observation one, faith in action. Observation number two, this is my favorite. Observation number two is it's a form of repayment. And by repayment, I mean this. They looked after you when you were two. You check in on them when they're 82. It's payback. Check it out. back to verse four. These uh, children and grandchildren should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their family, and so and so repaying their mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, their parents and grandparents. What I think Paul is saying here is, look, they took care of you when you were two. You look out for them when they're 82. They met your basic needs when you were five. Check in on them to make sure they have their basic needs when they're 75. It's payback. And the reason this is so difficult is because we don't remember the care we received, particularly when we were toddlers. I just need to share something with you. Ready? Ready? This right here, this is you. That was you right there. That was you. Once upon a time, that was you. And you woke up in the middle of the night, and you were screaming, and somebody fed you. You don't remember this, but somebody fed you. Uh, somebody changed your soiled diapers. We, we don't remember this, but somebody changed. Somebody spooned baby food into me. I don't remember this, but I think it happened. I know what happened. And I look at early pictures of myself. In every one of them, I'm dressed, most of them. I don't remember anybody dressing me, but apparently somebody got up in the night and fed me. Somebody spooned baby food into me. Somebody cared for me. Someone changed my spoiled diapers, uh, soiled diapers, and uh, someone watched after me and looked after me so that I could grow and become a middle schooler and announce, You've never done anything for me because we just forget. A lot of what we're repaying, we don't remember anybody doing that, but they did. And this, my friends, is why I have taken hundreds and hundreds of pictures of my grandchildren. Because they're adorable. No, that's why my wife takes pictures of the grandchildren. I photograph my grandchildren in order to have photographic evidence of every stinking thing we ever did for them. (laughs) So that there will come a day when they come of age and I'm able to go, oh, look at this. Apparently grandma took you to John Ball Zoo again. Oh, look at this. You're in the second grade on a bike. Do you remember who bought that bike for you? Oh, no? Well, let me refresh your memory. Perhaps it was us. And I would say, remember that summer, after summer, after summer, when we would take that one week and take you and your cousins to the lake, examine the evidence from whose heart of generous, rich generosity and grace doth these blessings flow. And I just need to look at the grandchild and say, I have four words. I have three words, three words. Uh, visit your grandma. Visit your grandma. It's, this is what Paul's saying. It's, are you with me on this? It's payback. It's payback. Uh, Timothy, be very careful about providing for widows in your church what could come from their kids. If you do, you and your church friends might just be robbing the family paying back their parents and grandma and grandpa for what was provided for them early in their lives. Second reason that Timothy's not to dive in and meet every need that family should meet. Uh, observation number three. Observation number three is just, it's pleasing to God. And this is just that last clause of this verse, but it's something really warm should happen there. Uh, put their religion in practice, caring for their family, and, uh, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is, for this is. It pleases God. It's just so pleasing to God when you take care of family members. How would Paul know that? Why would Paul suspect that it was pleasing to God to take care of our aging parents? And I think one of the reasons he knew that it was pleasing to God was um, because of the Big Ten. Any devout Jewish person, as Paul was, would have known the Ten Commandments. Do not steal, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not covet. Commandment number five of the Big Ten, Exodus chapter 20, honor your father and your mother. Pastor Manion, that verse, honor your father and your mother, that's to be told to little kids so they know not to disobey mom and dad. It has to be told to adolescent children to be told to honor their mom and dad. When Jesus applied this, honor your father and your mother. You can look this up in Mark chapter 7 of the Gospels. When Jesus applied, honor your father and your mother, he applied it to middle-age adults taking care of their senior citizen parents when the parents reached an age where they could no longer earn a living. Jesus' application of honoring your father and mother was checking in, helping out with aging parents. But just this thing, it pleases God. It pleases God. Look at this one. What if there's just something in the heart of God that just goes, yes. When Eric, my brother-in-law, climbs on a bike and rides down the bike trail in order to check in on Uncle Don, I think there's something in the heart of God that just goes, yes. When you got little kids in the house, and it's exhausting. It, it, it's like clothes and food and shopping and clothes and food and shopping and awake and sick and better and school. And it just, it, it, you feel some days like you're trapped like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day where every day's beginning to look like every other day. There's this redundancy, there's this repetition, there's this and then you do it again. And in mastering the mundane of a household, I think something in the heart of Christ just goes, yes, thank you for pouring into those kids. This is a middle-aged son and daughter sitting at a table in the evening, sifting through a (laughs) tome of financial records. Mom or dad has had an event, a medical event. It's time to explore a care facility. And they're just sitting there going, okay, if we sell the house... Social security, this much, is some supplemental insurance, and they're trying to figure out how to do the math on helping mom and dad in a long-term way. They will spend several evenings doing this, working through it, and there's something in the heart of God that is just very happy. When we use our time and energy and our mind to help a parent that might be at a place where they couldn't do that or couldn't do it as rapidly or as effectively... Something in the heart of God just goes yes, and I think something in the heart of God just goes yes. When people go to ordinary work, I ask some guys, "Hey, do you like your work?" And he's like, oh, "It pays the bills." I always want to stand up and applaud. <laughs> it pays the bill. Yeah, it pays the bills. Listen, if you have regular work, either in the home with kids or outside the home, where you're providing well, I can't find work I'm passionate about, then do work you're not passionate about. Get really good at something until that point when you can find something that you're passionate about. Um, It just, working to provide honors our God. It pleases him. Something in the heart of God just goes, yes, when we provide for family. Back to Ephesus, Uh, Timothy, the pastor of the Jesus community in Ephesus, he's got a dilemma. The dilemma is with widows, women that lost their husbands. Timothy, which widows to help and which widows not to help? And the counsel he receives is this. Timothy, be very cautious about helping, helping widows who have family because if you jump in and solve that problem, you will be robbing the family of putting their faith in action, you will be robbing the family of repaying their parents and grandparents, and you will be robbing the family of giving pleasure to God by taking care of their family. Timothy, don't do it. And by inference, by inference, what this means for us is that the greatest help you can give somebody who is struggling financially isn't Providing for their family. On occasion, okay. Long-term, that is not the best help you can give. The best long-term help you can give is by empowering and encouraging that person to get into a position where they can provide for their own family. That is the highest level of help. And that is exactly what Boaz did. Each weekend in this series, we've drawn back on a story that took place in a grain field. It's barley harvest. A thousand years before the time of Jesus, a guy named Boaz, he owns the field, he walks into the field, and he calls over his foreman, and he says, uh, hey, who's the girl over there? Because you get the harvesters going through the field, and then they, they couldn't get everything, and so they had be some grain, stalks of grain that would be dropped, some that wouldn't get cut down. And you could go through the field and you could glean, pick up afterwards, and Boaz says, who's the girl gleaning back there in the field? She's a widow. Her name is Ruth. She is the daughter-in-law of another widow whose name is Naomi. Why aren't two widows in the field, the daughter-in-law and the mother-in-law? Why is it just Ruth? My best guess, Naomi is beyond that age where you could get up every day, hike out of town, spend the day in the hot sun, bending and gathering and carrying, bending and gathering and carrying, bending and gathering and carrying. As Ruth goes through the field, she is the provider for Naomi, her mother-in-law. Boaz calls over Ruth. He says, listen, feel comfortable showing up in my field tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. I told my guys not to lay a hand on you. If you ever get thirsty, right over there there's some water jars. Feel fro. This is what Boaz is doing. Boaz is putting Ruth, the daughter-in-law, in in a position where she can be as self-sufficient as she can possibly be. In week one, we ask the question, why in the world didn't Boaz just have groceries delivered to the house? And there were three answers. The answers were these, because work is good, because Ruth is capable, and because self-sufficiency is honorable. Ruth is in the field, work is good. Ruth is capable, she's an able-bodied young woman. And self-sufficiency is honorable. It bestows us with dignity, but Ruth had to have a helper. She had to have a Boaz. She had to have somebody looking out for her. But the way that Boaz helps is by allowing Ruth to be as self-sufficient as Ruth could possibly be. I believe that that story in Ruth chapter 2 is like the gold standard for helping without hurting. So final application and final push in this series. I want to take you back to week two. Week two, we showed this little thing here. There's a circle of people and then someone on the outside looking in. In that weekend, that was kind of Ruth. She's a Moabite. She's a different country. She's new to town. And Boaz basically invites her into his circle, all right? And I challenge you, you know, I think pray for 30 days. Gracious God, who would you bring into my life that I might be able to help and include in my circle? And some of you have, like, totally forgot about it ever since I said that, and some of you have been praying that prayer every single day. It feels to me like the kind of prayer God might be pleased to honor to bring someone into your world that you could significantly help. But what if the greatest help that you can give is the kind of help that puts them on the road toward being a provider? What if the greatest help that you can provide is the kind of help that empowers them and encourages them toward being self-sufficient and a provider? So think with me as we talk about this circle and who you might include into your circle. Some of you have the joy of sitting with a third grader and working with them on their reading as you sit with that nine-year-old, not only think about the nine-year-old you're sitting with, learning reading proficiency, think about the 19-year-old that they will become someday filling out a job application. You might not just be helping the nine-year-old, you might be helping their 19-year-old self along the road to self-sufficient, to being a provider. Some of you will give your time and you'll give your energy on coaching someone in English as a second language. English as a second language. There are certain job opportunities that will remain closed unless someone has passable English. And often passable English can open up a world of opportunities that are closed. As you teach English as a second language, you might be helping someone toward becoming a provider. Friends, unemployment happens from time to time. We get in those spaces where we're between work. It can be just discouraging. It can be demoralizing. One more phone call, one more online, you know, application, one more time, dropping by that company. It can just, just be exhausting. In a small group, man, supporting each other, and you're just going like, "Hey, hang in there, man. There, there is something out there for you. I know this is discouraging. I know it's depressing. Stay at it. Stay on it. The search honors God." We need each other's encouragement in such seasons. If you find yourself mentoring a young man or young woman, you may have way more knowledge and experience that you're even aware of in knowing how to interview for a job. You might be able to give advice on how to go in and ask for a raise. Or better, how to work so that your presence is so valuable that you're eligible for a raise. Someone re-entering the workforce, helping them, coaching them in solving the child care dilemma or helping someone get a vehicle on the road so that they have regular transportation to regular work. What I'm talking about here is some of the best help that we can give isn't simply in providing but helping someone become a provider. This is huge and I believe it honors God and should be core to helping. In one case, you're providing. In the other case, you're helping someone become a provider. I think that is the highest level of help. I've been drawn to this content for a couple years. It's kept kind of postponing, when am I going to teach this content? Working on it for months. Months. And my drivers were two things. Number one, I believe that the family of Ada Bible Church will be drawn and moved toward increasingly helping out in our broken world. I believe that as a church family, we will grow and grow and grow in wanting God to use our lives to invest in the brokenness that surrounds us. And secondly, I just knew that we could get wiser in how to help. Uh, Get wiser in how to help without hurting and so we end the series and yet i am just incredibly hopeful that there are principles that will travel with you and that particularly our gracious god would awaken you to some of the needs that surround you and how your life and your experience and how your interests could be used to totally reshape someone's future Let me ask you to stand here at Cascade and our other campuses. I get to pray for us as we move into our week. Thank you, thank you for being here today, tuning into this series, and we invite you back next week as a breaking point begins. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we give a thanks that we were in each other's company today. We give thanks that we're in your house and able to open your word and learn and grow. Give us wise and discerning hearts. Give us strength for the journey Give us endurance. Give us patience and as we love, as we serve, and as we give. We ask this in the name of our Jesus, our Lord, who came here for us. Amen. We'll see you next week.